ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so the last couple of lessons then we've been discussing this topic regarding the will and the wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We mentioned the wish or the mashi'ah. In English we went with or we said that to be the wish and then the irada as the will and the irada is of two types. One is al-irada al-kawniya, and that is basically the creational sense, and that is basically al-mashi'ah. Then the other type is al-irada al-shar'iya, and that is what equates to what Allah loves, and that is the legislative sense of it. We left off on those examples, examples of where both of the wills are present, al-irada, al-kawniya, and shari'iya, examples of where neither are present, and examples of where one of the two is present. So the example of where both are present, al-irada, al-kawniya, Allah willed it to occur, so it occurred. And al-irada al-shari'iyya, that Allah loves that to occur. An example of that would be the iman of Abu Bakr. That Abu Bakr as-siddiq radiyallahu anhu was upon iman and died upon iman. Decreed by Allah and loved by Allah. An example of where neither of the wills of Allah exist. Neither existed or occurred. Same example, but you say, hmm? you could say that, but that wouldn't be correct. Abu Bakr dying as a non-Muslim would have to be an example like that. Because did Allah decree that to occur? So, al-irada al-kawniya, no. Would Allah love that to occur? No. Therefore, al-irada that wouldn't be there either. Example of where one of them is present. <coughs> Abu Lahab being a Muslim, did Allah decree it? Al-Iradah, Al-Kawniyah? No. Is it beloved to Allah though that a person be upon Iman and die upon Iman? So Al-Iradah, Al-Shari'iyah. And the final example where Al-Iradah, Al-Shari'iyah, uh, Al-Iradah, Al-Kawniya exists, but not Al-Shari'iyya. Example of where Al-Irada Al-Kawniya exists, but not Al-Irada Al-Shari'iyya in it. Abu Lahab dying is a kafir. Decreed or not? Absolutely. Beloved to Allah? No. So that's why the Shaykh says here, 
لهذا تنقسم الأشياء وفقا لإرادة الله إلى أربعة Everything can be categorized into four classifications in relation to the wills of Allah in that scenario. Every scenario can go into one of those four classifications. Either it will be something where شَيْءٌ تَتَّفِقُ فِيهِ الْإِرَادَتَانِ Both of the wills of Allah are present. وَشَيْءٌ تَنْتَفِي عَنْهُ الْإِرَادَتَانِ Somewhere where neither of the wills are present. وَشَيْءٌ تَكُونُ فِيهِ الْإِرَادَةُ شَرْعِيَ دُونَ الْكَوْنِيَّةِ Where الْإِرَادَةُ الشَرْعِيَّةُ exists but not الْكَوْنِيَّةُ And شَيْءٌ تَكُونُ فِيهِ الْإِرَادَةُ الْكَوْنِيَّةُ دُونَ شَرْعِيَّةُ Where something is decreed but it is not from الْإِرَادَةُ الشَرْعِيَّةُ not beloved to Allah. And we've discussed now, and everybody should understand now, there shouldn't be any confusion about that, that something was decreed and occurred, but it is not beloved to Allah. How do you reply to that? <coughs> How can something be decreed by Allah if it is not beloved to Allah? Everybody hang on a second. <laughs> so your answer was one word from the crowd, just sin. So what does sin mean? What do you mean with that? Sharh of your explanation. But why? Why does Allah, why would that be allowed if Allah doesn't love it? That was the question. So the point was, because that act in of itself is not beloved to Allah, that act in of itself is not. There's no irada shar'iyah for that. <coughs> but it is allowed and decreed in il-arada al-kawniyya because of what emanates from that, what then comes from that. Because a person makes sins, then he repents, seeks forgiveness, all of those things arise from that. Was it not for sins and lack of piety from people, etc., occurring? Then there would be no test and trial left on this earth. Everybody is therefore a believer. Everybody is a mu'min. Everybody is in paradise. No trial left. So these affairs are allowed. A person chooses kufr. A person chooses bid'ah. A person chooses sins. They are allowed to occur, not beloved to Allah, but allowed to occur. That is the test and the trial. And then certain things arise from them that would not otherwise arise. The fact that a person repents and returns back to Allah, seeks forgiveness. They are all from the fruits or from the consequences of a person initially having fallen into some wrong or some sin. So nobody should be confused over that. Why is it that Allah would decree something if it's not beloved to Him? The item may not be beloved to Allah, but it is allowed to occur because that is the whole test and trial in this earth. And because there are consequences, there are things that arise from them that are for the good of the people, the tawbah, the forgiveness, etc. <clears throat> then there were some ayat 
the first one tu'til mulka man tasha' that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the kingdom to whom he wills tu'til mulka man tasha' ash-shahidu fi hadhihi al-ayah the point of this ayah is the fact that it says Allah gives that kingdom to whom he wills tu'til mulka man tasha' وَتَنْزِعُ الْمُلْكَ مِمَّنْ تَشَاءُ And strips that kingdom from whom he wills. وَتُعِزُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتُذِلُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ And honors whom he wills and degrades, debases whom he wills. فالله تعالى يؤتي الملك من يشاء Allah gives that kingdom to whom he wills وهل اتيانه الملك من يشاء لمجرد المشيئة أم أن فعله ما يشاء لمجرد المشيئة The fact that Allah gives the kingdom to whom he wills strips it from whom he wills honors whom he wills debases whom he wills that Allah does as he wills in all of these affairs is that something which occurs without any reason either way the word in English is does it occur arbitrarily how do you say it arbitrarily correct Go check it in the dictionaries. <laughs> that word, does it occur without any reason this way or that way? As you say in the street language. Accidentally, no, that's not street language. <laughs> when you say something happens just. Huh? Or not in Manchester. When you say it happens just. Why do you do this and that? Just. No reason for this, no reason for that. Just. That's what they're saying here. When Allah strips the kingdom, gives the kingdom honors, debases, is that because Allah just decided to do that without any reason this way or that way? Can we say that? Or is there something greater to it? With Allah giving the kingdom to this one, stripping it from that one, honoring this one, debasing that one. Is there something behind that? Or is it just because Allah decided to do that? You can't say it's just because Allah decided to do it without any reason this way or that way. Because that would then mean that Allah has done these things or these actions are occurring without any wisdom behind them and that cannot be. Whatever Allah does, it is all upon wisdom. The kingdom has been given to this one, there's a wisdom behind that. Stripped from that one, there's a wisdom behind that. It's not just because there's no reason this way or that way. Allah just decided to do that. There is a wisdom behind everything. So that's what the Shaykh discusses in this section here. That it's not just without any murajjih. Meaning that it's not just without any reason this way or that way. It was just decided to be like that. It's not like that. There is wisdom behind all of the actions of Allah. Wisdom behind all of what is done, who the kingdom is given, who it's not, who's honored, who's debased, 
There is wisdom behind all of those actions. And as Allah said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all-knowledgeable, the all-wise. وَعَلَى هَذَا فَقَيِّدْ بِذَلِكَ كُلَّ آيَةٍ فِيهَا إِطْلَاقُ الْمَشِيئَةِ بِالْحِكْمَةِ The Shaykh says, therefore, every ayah where you see that it says Allah does this or that as He wills, that Allah honors who He wills, gives the kingdom to who He wills, Whenever you see an ayah talking about Allah doing something as He wills, then know that is with wisdom. That Allah wills everything and does everything and whatever it may be upon wisdom. نعم فعلى هذا نعم ليس لمجرد مشيئة أنه يؤتي هذا الملك. لا ولكن يؤتيه لأن حكمته اقتضت أن يأخذ الملك So a person isn't given kingdom just because without any reason given the kingdom Rather Allah gives the kingdom to this one with a wisdom behind it And strips it from that one with a wisdom behind it It isn't something that is done without any reasoning كَذَٰلِكَ تَنْزِعُ الْمُلْكَ مِمَّنْ تَشَاءُ And similarly, so Allah strips the kingdom away from whom He wills. نَزَعَ الْمُلْكَ مِمَّنْ يَشَاءُ إِمَّا بِمَوْتِهِ So Allah may strip that kingdom away from somebody either by causing that person to die, all of his kingdom gone when he dies, nothing remains with him. Or بِأَنْ يُغْلَبْ that he is overcome, overwhelmed, it is, he is defeated by others who do a coup upon him and take it from him, overridden and overwhelmed by others who take it from him. أو بأن يفسد تدبيره Anyone with the translation of that? أن يفسد تدبيره that the king, the person in authority, yafsuda, something becomes corrupt, what becomes corrupt and wrong and ruined, tadbirahu, basically his ability to rule and his ability to manage. He ruins his kingdom and it becomes destroyed. Yafsuda tadbirahu, he no longer runs his kingdom properly, makes errors and misjudgments and his kingdom becomes destroyed because of his lack of ability to control and run and organize his kingdom. يَفْسُدَ تَدْبِيرَهُ أَوْ مَا أَشْبَهَ ذَلِكَ Or in other ways. The point though is, أَنَّهُ يَنْزِعِ الْمُلْكَ مِمَّنْ يَشَاءْ لِحِكْمَةِ That if the kingdom, that authority is stripped from someone, then it is with wisdom that it is done. إِذَنْ therefore, the Mashi'ah, which we are saying is the wish of Allah, which is the same as Al Iradah Al Kauniya, which is basically Masha'Allahu Khan wa ma lam lam yakun. That's the basic phrase. Whatever Allah wills is, and whatever Allah doesn't will, 
isn't. Only what Allah wills will be, what Allah doesn't will won't be. That all occurs with wisdom. Whatever Allah wills to occur, what you see in decree, everything is with wisdom. Wallahu Azza wa Jal, la yaf'alu shay'a biduni murajjih itlaqan. Allah doesn't do anything upon a basis of no reasoning either way. Just do it that way. It is not like that ever. Nothing is ever done just for the sake of it being done like that. There is always some wisdom, some reason behind something being willed by Allah in a way. وَإِذَا كَانَ تَصَرُّفُ الْوَاحِدِ مِنَّا بِالشَّيْءِ وَتَرْجِيحُهُ لِأَحَدِ الْأَمْرَيْنِ بِدُونِ مُرَجِّحِ يُعَدُّ سَفَهَنَّ فَمَا بَالُكَ بِفِعْلِ اللَّهِ عِزَّ وَجَلَ الَّذِي فِعْلُهُ فِي غَايَةِ الْحِكْمَةِ The Shaykh says, even us now, even us, if you were to do something, you have a choice between two affairs, whatever those two affairs may be. And then somebody asks you afterwards, why did you pick that and not the other one? And you give the reply, just. That indicates a lack of wisdom, intellect, thought, a lack of thought into your decision. You've done it upon no reason, no real thought in it, no real thinking about anything, the consequences, why this, why that, justifications. You've just done it. Even us as humans, that isn't really a praiseworthy type of thing. Why have you picked this phone over that one? Just. But why? Surely there are things there. If you looked into it, you maybe realize the other one has better specifications. So doing things upon this just did it basis isn't praiseworthy even in humans. So what therefore of Allah? Surely we cannot, and of course we cannot say that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everything he does is at the peak and the pinnacle of wisdom. أَمَّا قَوْلُهُ تَعَالَى لَا يُسْأَلُ عَمَّا يَفْعَلْ وَهُمْ يُسْأَلُونَ Allah says in the Qur'an, He is not questioned about what He does, but they, us, are the ones questioned. We will be questioned about what we do, but Allah is not questioned about what He does. فَالْمَعْنَى أَنَّ لَهُ الْمُلْكَ التَّامِ The kingdom and the dominion of Allah is absolute and perfect. وَأَنَّ فِعْلَهُ عَلَىٰ أَتَمِّ وَجْهِ And the actions of Allah are performed upon the absolute and complete and perfect manner. What Allah does, then it is done upon absolute perfection and precision. فَلَا يُتَوَجَّهُ إِلَيْهِ سُؤَالٌ لِأَنَّهُ عَلَىٰ أَتَمِّ وَجْهِ So you cannot ever question what Allah does because everything Allah does has been done upon absolute precision. Nothing to question about it. There is no possibility of any questions arising upon the actions of Allah because every action of Allah is upon Absolute precision. أَمَّا أَفْعَالُنَا فَإِنَّهَا نَاقِصَةً As for our actions, they are deficient. 
our actions are deficient and that's why we are questioned upon them and we will be <coughs> we will be questioned about our actions and our deeds because we all do have deficiencies in our actions and our deeds we are not upon absolute precision in them hence you have all of the narrations highlighting how we fall into error كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمْ خَطَّاءُ All of the sons of Adam make error. كُلُّكُمْ تُخْطِئُونَ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارُ All of you make sin and error day and night. No doubt we have deficiency in our actions, so we will be questioned. فَاللَّهُ لَا يُسْأَلُ عَمَّا يَفْعَلُ So Allah will not be questioned about what He does. لِتَمَامْ سُلْطَانِهِ وَكَمَالْ فِعْلِهِ Because of the absolute kingdom of Allah and because of the absolute precision in his actions. وَأَنَّهُ تَامٌ لَا يَحْتَاجْ أَنْ يُسْأَلْ عَنْهُ The actions of Allah are absolutely perfect and precise and there is no possibility of any question arising within them. ثُمَّ إِنَّهُ يَجُوزُ أَن تَسْأَلْ عَنْ فِعْلِ اللَّهِ إِسْتِرْشَادًا وَطَلَبًا لِلْحِكْمَةِ لَعْتِرَاضًا What does that mean? <coughs> so, we are allowed to question what Allah does in the context of searching for and to become aware of what the wisdom could be. To search for the wisdom behind an action of Allah, that isn't you questioning why Allah's done this or that. That is simply researching and questioning it to try and see if you can come to an understanding of the wisdom behind something. That is different to saying why Allah this and why Allah that. Even then, it is not possible for us to know the wisdom behind everything. We do not know the wisdom behind everything. Even when it comes to acts of worship, there are many acts of worship that we, the scholars, the ummah from the salaf to now, we don't have an explanation of the wisdom behind why we do a particular act of worship, how we do it, why we do it, the method. We don't have wisdoms behind certain acts of worship that we perceive and understand. And that is okay. illa You are not given from knowledge except a small amount. So even with acts of worship, there are certain acts of worship that we don't know the wisdom, why do we worship in the way like that Allah has told us to worship. Some scholars even mention that regarding an act of worship that we don't really know the wisdom of why it's like the way it is. Even before, um, bigger... Alright, there's something linked to wudu though. Connected to everybody here. Salah. 
even the prayer. When you pray, it's made up of certain components. There is one component of the prayer that requires you to stand. There is another component of the another part of the prayer that requires you to bow. Another part of the prayer requires you to prostrate. Another part of the prayer requires you to sit. All these different movements and positions in the prayer. Standing, bowing, prostrating, sitting. Then the combinations, how they come together. Stand, then bow, then stand, then go down to sujood. All of this, the way the movements are, the positions are, the combinations are. When we pray, why do we pray like that? Why is the prayer like that? Why not just sit and read everything? Alhamdulillah, all the Fatiha, the Surah of the Quran, the Tashahud. Do everything just sitting down. Salam alaikum, salam alaikum. Why is it being made in that way? Stand, then bow, then prostrate. All of these different movements. We don't necessarily, and we, we can't necessarily say that we know the absolute wisdom as to why we pray in that way. Yes, the scholars have brought about ishtihad in some of the explanations and they've uh, uh, mentioned regarding the standing and for example, why you stand like this. When you stand for prayer, you stand with your hands on your chest, right on top of your left, with your eyesight down. That is the way you stand for the prayer. Why did Allah prescribe it like that? Scholars make ijtihad and they may give some explanations. Who attended the Prophet's prayer described by a Shaykh al a couple of years ago? <coughs> One, two, three. So tell us why then, because it was in there and we did it. But that wasn't. What about this part, though? As <coughs> Sheikh Al Athaymin mentioned, it is a posture of humility, a posture of your recognition of lowliness before the one you are standing in front of. That's something known. The Sheikh says, like imagine now when somebody's in trouble, you're standing in front of somebody in trouble. It is a human type of thing that you would stand with your hands on top of each other and your head down. True or false? Absolutely. It's a natural type of stance of humility. So the Shaykh said perhaps this is the wisdom behind it, that this is a stance indicating your humility before your Lord. But that is just certain parts and wisdoms that we try to perceive. Overall, if you were to say, well, why is it standing first, then why not the prostration you start with first? Then go up to the standing, then go down to the, why not in different order? Why that order? There are, there are things like that the scholars may say we don't really know the wisdom as to why it's exactly the way it is. So they say sometimes with certain acts of worship, ibadat mahda, that even if we don't perceive and understand the wisdom behind this, why it's exactly like that, you do it because you know it is an act of worship prescribed in that way and you will be rewarded for doing it in that way. Ta'abbudi. That it is something Allah has tested you for your worship upon. Will you worship Allah in that way or not? Will you stand and bow and prostrate and do those actions and that prayer or not? You're being tested on whether you'll do it or not. 
Why is it in that particular way? We may not necessarily know. Wudu is an example they mention as well. Wudu is an example that could be termed as an ibadah mahda also. A worship for the sake of it being a worship as far as we're concerned. You do it because it's a worship and you'll get rewarded for doing it in that way sincerely for the sake of Allah. Wudu is an example. Because wudu, if you were to say what is the wisdom behind wudu? What is the wisdom behind the prescription of wudu? Huh? So physical purification. Purification is the general type of response. It is for purification and it is. But is that the core of the wisdom behind it? We can say that is the reason wudu has been prescribed upon us for purification. You can't. Because now you have the example they mention in the books of fiqh. If you were to go there and make wudu, you make a full wudu, you just finish everything, washing your feet, and you're just about to get up and turn the top off and you break wind. Now what you're going to have to do? Make wudu all over again, even though your hands, your arms, your everything is still dripping wet. You just finished. So have you become dirty every year to purify yourself again? Has your face become dirty? Has your hands become dirty? Not necessarily, but you still have to do wudu again. What if the second time you make wudu, it happens again? Then you got to do it again. Imagine it happened a fourth time. You get what? You'll get rewarded for sabr. You have to, you know, you're going to be sat in the bathroom in the, in the wudu area on the stools. If you're rewarded for your patience, you're repeating it now in your ninth time. But you got to keep doing it. If that happened, realistically, if it happened, you're going to do wudu nine times then. If that happened, you're going to do it. If it was something out of the ordinary, if somebody had some problem and disease, that's a different ruling. But somebody has just eaten certain foods that cause those types of things, then you'd have to repeat your wudu several times over. Are you becoming impure when a tiny wind breaks? No. But you have to make the wudu still. They give the example of the intention as well. If you dipped your oh, shower now, you have a shower for an hour. One hour shower. And then you come out at the end of it, then you see it's the prayer time. You think, khalas, one hour I've been having a shower. Clean as you can be, I'm just going to go pray. Can you? You still got to go back and you still have to wash those body parts. If you were in the shower and you made the intention to do wudu and you wiped over those parts, then done. If you never, then even after an hour of that shower, you come out, you haven't got wudu. So it's not just purification, is it? After one hour of the shower, you are pure. So there's something more to wudu. Hence, we may not always know the detailed wisdom behind everything, but that is something that we know occurs. Everything is by the wisdom of Allah. Meaning of this one here. وَلَا And then accept. So never say that I will do such and such tomorrow except if Allah wills. This is to do with saying inshallah for something in the future. You don't say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that in the future. 
it is if Allah wills that to occur. So that's why you say, Insha'Allah, if Allah wills. That's what it means, Insha'Allah, if Allah wills. So for future, whatever you're going to do in the future, you always say, I'm going to do this, that, the other, if Allah wills it. Because if Allah doesn't will that, then you won't end up doing that. What's the one occasion or one of the occasions when the scholars, they say you can talk about something future tense, you want this, you want that, you're going to do this, that, without saying inshallah, you're not supposed to say inshallah. When making dua, when making dua, when you're asking for something to happen to you, 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 want, to, uh, you want to buy that new car, you've seen it there, you're making dua for that car, and you're making dua that you get the money together, everything, then you don't say, then, uh, oh Allah, allow me to have that car if you will, etc. You know you want it, you've done your istikhara, etc. You want that car. Then there's no inshallah in your dua. Because when you make dua, you're supposed to make it with a firm, resolute mindset that Allah will answer you. So when you say inshallah there, it indicates that you're, you're in doubt, if you will Allah, if Allah wills, you don't have that wholehearted feeling to it. So as Shaykh Al-Fawzani mentioned, when making dua for something, make it with conviction. Say, oh Allah, bestow and bless upon me such and such. And don't say, bless upon me if you will. Of course, we know it will be by the will of Allah. And nobody is going to constrict the will of Allah. <coughs> nobody is going to be able to stop that or stop Allah willing it for you. So there's no meaning to that, inshallah, in that sense. So here that's what it refers to. Don't say I'm going to do something except what Allah wills. That ayah initially, it's addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-khitabu lil-rasooli sallallahu alayhi wa sallam li-anna Qurayshan sa'aluhu faqal ukhbirukum ghadan i'tamadan ala nuzul al-wahi. وَكَانَ الرَّسُولُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُسْأَلُ فَيَأْتِيهِ الْوَحِي فِي الْحَالِ كَمَا مَرَّ عَلَيْنَا فِي سُؤَالِ الْيَهُودِ لَهُ عَنِ الرُّوحِ فَاتَّكَأَ عَلَى الْعَسِيبِ وَنَزَلَ عَلَيْهِ الْوَحِي فَقَالَ لَهُمْ أُخْبِرُكُمْ غَدًا وَلَمْ يَقُلْ إِنْ شَاءَ اللَّهِ Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would get asked questions. If he didn't know those answers yet, the revelation hadn't come for those particular issues yet. If he got asked about them, then soon after the revelation would come, informing him of the answer to this and to that. Most of the time, almost instantly, that the revelation would come to him to give him the answer for that situation. So uh, like we saw in the example before, when those Jews came to him to ask him about the soul, then the revelation came. Here, there was an example on one occasion when the Quraysh asked about something, and the Prophet ﷺ said to them, I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll inform you of that affair tomorrow. Considering and thinking, assuming that the Revelation would come as it typically did. Assuming that it would come, he said, I will inform you tomorrow. However, he never said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Insha'Allah. 
And so the revelation actually didn't come for 15 days until the Prophet ﷺ became somewhat the feeling of that huh? anxiousness, you could maybe say, that feeling that he was expecting to give them that response, expecting the revelation to come, and yet 15 days now and the revelation didn't come. لَكِنْ تَأَخْهُرُ الْوَحِي فِيهِ مَصَالِحْ عَظِيمًا However, the revelation being delayed in coming, as in this event it occurred, there are benefits behind that. There are benefits behind the revelation being delayed in coming. Firstly, أَنْ يَعْرِفَ الْإِنسَانِ قَدْرَ نَفْسِهِ وَأَنَّ الْأَمْرِ بِيَدِ اللَّهِ that a person recognizes his level and understands that the affair is in the control of Allah. The affair is in the control of Allah. Secondly, Secondly, <laughs> لكن لما بقي حتى نزل عليه الوحي دل ذلك على صدقه. It also the fact that the revelation was delayed also gives us a benefit of recognizing the truthfulness of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Because if otherwise the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم wanted to just make something up then and say it, could have just made something up and said anything. Yet he couldn't and he didn't. And for two weeks, he had no reply for them. And only when the revelation came, then did he give a reply. Indicating the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ. Because if he wasn't truthful, then at any time he could have just gone and said, it's this and it's that, even without the revelation. But he didn't. And he had to wait and he couldn't give a reply. And all of that indicates he would only speak with revelation and knowledge. It wasn't just something he was making up. So this indicates the truthfulness of the Prophet Also, أَنْ يَشْتَدَّ إِشْتِيَاقُ النَّبِيِّ Also, the yearning or the desire to get that revelation then increases. Your desire and your yearning to get that revelation increases. And that is obviously something good to have that feeling of desire for the revelation, the yearning for the revelation. So sometimes in the delay of the revelation, that's what it would bring about to for the Prophet ﷺ, and that is something positive. So when Allah says in this ayah, don't say that I am going to do something tomorrow, أي موقع للفعل إلا مقرونا بمشيئة الله. So don't say I'm going to do something in the future except by attaching that along with the will of Allah. Because in the future, whether you end up doing it or not, depends on الإرادة الكونية. Whether Allah wills that or not. And then we've come back around to the same situation. Does that mean you are just doing whatever is willed upon you? Rather, Allah knows in that time when it comes, 
what choice and how and what you're going to do. And so Allah knows that already and Allah decrees that already. Allah has decreed that and knows that. But you are the one who at the time will be making that conscious choice. So in the future then you don't say I'm going to do this or that except by saying Allah, Attaching it to the will of Allah. لِأَجْلِ أَن تُفَوِّضَ الْأَمْرَ إِلَيْهِ لِأَنَّكَ لَا تَدْرِ مَا يَعْرِضُ لَكَ So that you then, uh, what is it called tafweed in English? Delegate, you delegate that uh, affair of yours to Allah. You leave that affair of yours to Allah. I'm going to do this or that tomorrow, next week, inshaAllah. So you've now left that occurrence to happen in the future attached to the will of Allah. وَكَمْ مِنْ إِنسَانٍ قَالْ And how many people out there, they have said, إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ ذَلِكَ غَدَى That I am going to do this or that tomorrow. لَكِنْ يُوجَدُ مَوَانِعْ تَمْنَعُهُ مِنْ فِعْلِهِ And then all of a sudden, various things start happening that prevent a person from doing that. Various things may occur, preventing a person from doing that. And you would never expect it. Something out of your control, you may not have ever anticipated it. You think tomorrow, for example, you're going to fly out somewhere. Tickets booked, everything done, dusted. You've picked your seats online. You get to the airport, and there's a quarter of an inch of snow. And that's it, the airport is closed. One occasion, I was going to go to Canada. Brothers in Toronto for a small seminar. And it happened to snow. I think it must have been about a centimeter of snow that day. A few years ago. And Manchester airport was closed and Heathrow was closed. So I told the brothers there, flights are gone today. Going to have to be tomorrow's flight now. And it was about a centimeter of snow. So they replied and they said, well, in that case, you better go into your bunkers and everything and get safe a centimeter of snow. They have two meters of snow over there and everything's carrying on as normal. So you don't know what's going to happen. You get to the airport and all of a sudden the flight's been cancelled. This has happened, that has happened. You plan tomorrow you're going to go on a journey to London. Everything's set, ready. You get up in the morning, engine doesn't start. So when it comes to the issues of the future, you put your affairs into the control of Allah, inshaAllah. Because otherwise, how many people out there say they're going to do this and that, and then something comes up and they never end up doing it. فَإِذَا قَالْ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ So if a person, <coughs> if a person says, إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ فَوَّضَ الْأَمْرَ إِلَى اللَّهِ Then he's left his affair to Allah. تَيَسَّرَ لَهُ الْأَمْرَ Then that affair will be made easier for him. There's an issue here now the Sheikh mentions. هَلْ يَجُوزُ أَن تُخْبِرَ عَمَّا فِي نَفْسِكَ مِنَ الْعَظِيمَةِ دُونَ أَن تُرِيدَ أَنَّكَ سَتَفْعَلَ يعني تُخْبِرَ عَمَّا فِي نَفْسِكَ مِنَ الْعَظِيمَةِ غير مقرونة بالمشيئة دون أن تريد إيقاع الفعل. Is it permissible for you to express or to tell somebody of an intention you have of doing something? 
without saying insha'Allah. You, you don't have any intention of actually doing it yet, but you have the intention for it at some point. Then can you say that I am going to do X, Y, and Z, meaning you're explaining what your plan is without any idea of when you're going to do it or how it's going to happen or, or the occurrence of it. Just the idea. Can you talk about your idea and your intent for something in the future without saying inshallah? Because right now you haven't made a plan of doing it. You haven't made a plan of actually doing it yet. That the shaykh says, yes, you can. Because you have no intention yet of actually doing anything. So nothing is in existence and nothing is intended by you to come into existence yet. It is just a thought or an idea. So if you have something in your mind that you intend to do, it is there in your mind that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. It's not something you have to say inshallah to yet because it's not something that you actually plan to go ahead and do yet. It is just something you intend at some point. So Al-Jawab Na'am, ذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ إِخْبَارَكَ عَمَّا فِي نَفْسِكَ مِنَ الْعَزِيمَ إِخْبَارٌ عَنْ شَيْءٍ حَاضِرٌ لَا شَيْءٍ مُسْتَقْبَلٌ Because then in reality, all you're talking about is something in your mind right now. Right now, you have this idea and this intent, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Whether it's going to happen, whether you're actually going to plan it and do it, nothing like that is in the pipeline yet at all. So right now, it's just an idea you are set on. So that doesn't require, inshallah, when you start to get the ball rolling and you're going to start doing this now and follow through with this idea, then you're going to start saying, well, tomorrow, inshallah, I'm going to go do the first step and I'm going to do this and that. But before that, just as an idea, as a concept, that's just the idea you've got in your mind right now. So that doesn't require, inshallah, there's no action you plan to do yet. Uh, Sheikh says as an example, أَن تَقُولَ لِصَاحِبِكَ سَأُسَافِرُ غَدًا إِلَى الرِّيَاضِ إِنْ أَرَدْتَ أَنَّكَ سَتُسَافِرْ بِالْفِعْلِ يعني إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ وَلَا بُدٌ فَهَذَا لَا بُدَّ أَن تُقْرِنَهُ بِالْمَشِيئَةِ وَإِنْ أَرَدْتَ الْإِخْبَارَ عَمَّا فِي قَلْبِكَ فِي الْعَزِيمَةِ أو مِنَ الْعَزِيمَةِ فَهَذَا إِخْبَارٌ عَنْ شَيْءٍ حَاضِرٌ لَا شَيْءٍ مُسْتَقْبَلٌ that's it. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to London. I intend to go to London tomorrow, for example. If you intend to go to London tomorrow, meaning you actually intend to go, you've got your ticket booked, you're ready, you're going tomorrow. Then in that case, you're going to say, I'm going to go to London tomorrow, inshallah. But if it's one of those where some situation, whatever it is, is occurring and you need to go to London, you say, that's it, that's it, I'm going to go to London tomorrow. But nothing is planned, you've got no idea what's happening, how you're going to get there, no tickets, no nothing, it's just right now, that's it, I'm going to go tomorrow. But nothing is actually prepared as an action to follow that through yet. There is no action involved in following that through and actually making it happen, it is just the concept and the idea and the firm intent you may have right now, but you've done nothing about it and you have no pr program or plan to do anything yet.
So that is just your idea in your heart that that's what I want to do. I want to go to London tomorrow. Somebody, for example, is ill. And it's been a week, two weeks. And some brothers have gone to visit that person. You say, that's it. I really want to go tomorrow. I've got a free day from work. I want to go tomorrow. That is expressing your intent to go. And your resolute intent to go. You've all been, he's been, he's been, the brother's ill. That's it. I really want to go tomorrow. I got a day of work. I really want to go tomorrow then. That doesn't require an insha'Allah yet. That is only your intent and your resolute mindset to do this action. However, it is not actually an intended action to do yet. You haven't actually made any program, any thought of whether you are actually going to go and do it or whether it is just one of those, I really want to go tomorrow then. You've been, you've been, in, almost going to say, but I really want to go tomorrow. So there's a difference between just saying an idea of something that you want to do without actually having any plan or anything in progress to do it as opposed to something where you have made the plan and you are planning to actually do it, then it requires an insha'Allah. وَهَذَا فَرْقٌ دَقِيقٌ And the shaykh says it now. You sometimes, you know, when you explain something, you can feel that it's not, that everybody doesn't get it. You can feel everybody hasn't got it. And the shaykh says it now, so I feel better now. He says, هَذَا فَرْقٌ دَقِيقٌ it's a very fine line between the two. A very fine line between the two ideas. For you to say, that's it, I'm going to go tomorrow. As opposed to, I'm going to London tomorrow. I got my ticket, I got everything. It's, I mean, in English especially, it's almost identical. That's it, I'm going to go tomorrow. That would be almost everybody would say, inshallah, to that. So it is a very fine line between the two ideas. Many people may not really get that. Between the difference of telling somebody what you've got firmly grounded and intent in your heart about what you want to do, as opposed to an action that you're actually planning on doing. So when you say insha'Allah, back to the main point of saying insha'Allah for something you are going to do in the future, there are several benefits to that. Firstly, you are putting your affairs in the hands of Allah. Insha'Allah I will do this and I will do that. You're putting your affairs into the control of Allah. And that is obviously something good. Secondly, tasheelul amr that your affair will be made easier for you. That you put it in connection to the will of Allah. Insha'Allah, I'll do this and that. It will be made easier for you then. And thirdly, this is a separate point regarding taking oaths, that if you took an oath by Allah, I'm going to go to London tomorrow, insha'Allah. In that case, if you didn't go, it wouldn't be considered as having broken an oath. That's a slightly separate issue though.
Future tense, the Shaykh highlights here, future tense can be anything beyond the present tense. Anything beyond the present tense is considered future tense. So somebody says, where's your book? Uh, I'm going to go and get it from the car in a minute. That is, I'm going to go and get it from the car in a minute. Insha'Allah. That is future tense. Right after present tense, anything after present tense is considered future tense. It doesn't have to be something tomorrow, the next day, or the week, or the month. Later today, in half an hour, I'm going to do this, that, the other, insha'Allah. In five minutes, I'm going to go out to the car and get this, that, the other, insha'Allah. You may never end up going and getting that thing from the car in five minutes. We'll have to round off on that point for today. It's still carrying on. And the next section now is another one where it requires even more focus probably than the first session of these three we've done so far now, I think. We've done three sessions on this topic so far. The next session is about guidance. So how come Allah's decree in the creational sense, whatever Allah decrees occurs, whatever Allah doesn't decree doesn't occur. How come certain people were decreed to be upon kufr and die upon kufr and end up in hellfire? All of that occurred by the decree of Allah. So how come Allah, as they will say to you out there as well, why did God purposely decree misguidance for people? He decreed it. Without that decree, would it have occurred? Allah decreed it. And they died upon misguidance and they go to hellfire. How does that work then? How and why has Allah misguided some people and decreed their misguidance and they're going to end up in the hellfire? Most of that now shouldn't be as complicated as it sounds from what we've done. And the rest of it we'll talk about next week, the issue of guidance. Who is guided, who is not. People walking on the streets right now, right now, unguided, misguided, walking on the streets, kufr, shirk. Why are they upon that state? Why has that been decreed upon them? Or Allah decreeing that upon them and decreeing guidance upon others. The issue of guidance and lack of guidance has a link to the issue of the decree. So that is the topic next week and that requires sharp minds also. Next week inshallah ta'ala after the Isha prayer we'll carry on with that. Any questions, anything else before we round off? When you make <coughs> Yeah, and there are others too. Like for example, when you go to the graves, There are some du'as with insha'Allah. However, the scholars have mentioned insha'Allah can be used in contexts where something is absolutely definitive anyway. So when you go to the graves, the dua is that it, we will, we will uh, meet up with you one day, insha'Allah. What do you mean we will meet up with you one day, insha'Allah? You're not going to die, you're not sure? Absolutely you are. So why is the insha'Allah there? It is not there for the meaning of whether it's going to occur or not. It's definitely going to occur, yet the dua comes with insha'Allah at the end. 
So that the scholars they say highlights it doesn't necessitate in certain contexts an idea of something occurring or not occurring. In that one there, Tahurun insha'Allah, that basically may you be cured if Allah wills. When you make a dua, like we said, yes, you are supposed to make it with an absolute firm, resolute intent. However, when it comes to those types of supplications, Tahurun insha'Allah, they are supplications of the Sunnah for a start anyway. That is the way they've been prescribed. Then on top of that, the meaning of insha'Allah, it wouldn't negate your intent. Because there, it's something out of your control anyway. The fact whether that person is going to be cured or not, isn't something you have control over. It is by the decree of Allah whether he'll be cured or not. And that is basically a request of Allah, insha'Allah. If Allah wills that this cure comes to you, but more closer is the meaning of insha'Allah to the intent of resoluteness like the, the dua of the graves. It is more towards that than an intent of, I don't know, maybe Allah will cure you, maybe won't. It isn't really that meaning, it's more towards the other side. Absolutely, when you visit the graves, there is benefit for the one visiting and benefit for the one deceased. <coughs> for the one visiting because reminds you of the hereafter. كُنْتُ قَدْ نَهَيْتُكُمْ عَنْ زِيَارَةِ الْقُبُورِ أَلَا فَزُورُوهَا فَإِنَّهَا تُذَكِّرُكُمُ الْآخِرَةِ In the hadith, the Prophet said, I used to prohibit you from visiting the graves. In the early days of Islam, it was prohibited. Men, women, prohibited to go to graves. But then afterwards, the new ruling came, it's allowed. So the Prophet then said, I used to prohibit you from going to graves, but go and visit them. فَإِنَّهَا تُذَكِّرُكُمُ الْآخِرَةِ Because they remind you of the hereafter. So a person visits the grave, then it is a reminder for you. Reminder for you regarding death and reminder for you how this life will come to an end. And that is something which is good for you. It will give you that boost to uh, fix your affairs and to rectify, etc. The deceased person benefits for him because you can go there and make dua to Allah to Forgive the person, have mercy upon the person, you make dua for them. Not dua to them, you make dua for them. You can go and ask, make dua, asking Allah to forgive them, have mercy upon them, etc. Hmm. No, if you can't speak Arabic, then you're allowed to make the dua generally in English. If there is a particular dua that you need to make, and you're not able to do it in Arabic, then it's allowed in English, of course. Even in the prayer, most of the scholars, they say it's allowed. If there was a very particular dua you needed to make, you can't do it in Arabic, you can do it in the prayer in English, or in whatever language. Scholars, most of them do allow that, for that particular dua that you need to make, because you can't make it in the Arabic language. Of course, they do say though, priority is that you go and learn, Learn the Arabic language, learn some general du'as that cover the issue you're talking about and the issue you want so that you can say it within those general Arabic du'as. 
but if need be and necessity calls, then it's allowed. That's one of the common regulars. A regular question comes around every few weeks or every few months maybe. So this week, what's going to happen is, since we haven't set any homework, everybody, that's a, it's a common, common, common question all of the time. Easy one as well. So the homework is, the Prophet used to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Yet there is a narration saying that the best type of fasting is to fast one day, leave one day. But if you do that, it's never going to match up with the Monday and Thursday. It's always going to mix up on the odd weeks. So how do you match up between Mondays and Thursdays and also fasting one day and leaving one day? Because the two won't combine. They won't combine perfectly. They won't fit in perfectly with each other. So everybody's going to do the homework. You're going to attend next week, inshallah. And then everybody will bring the answers for that homework. And we'll read out the answers for that homework and the explanations for that homework. In a week's time, that will bring about, you know, uh, questions and answers like that. It is a prophetic method of teaching. It is from the prophetic methods of teaching to set questions and then give answers as opposed to just giving an answer. Setting questions, then giving answers. And there are multiple hadith where the Prophet ﷺ used to do that with the companions. Many hadith where the Prophet ﷺ would say to them, do you know X, Y, and Z? Then the companions would think and focus, and they didn't know, they would say, Allah, the Messenger knows best. But now their minds are focused on that. They're all thinking, how and what is the answer? Then when the answer comes, it sits in the mind far greater than the answer just coming in the first place. So the Prophet ﷺ used to do that a lot with the companions. So now everybody's going to want to know the answer by next week. And nobody will forget either. Nobody will forget either after a week of thinking about it. When the answer then comes next week, you'll never forget it. So that's the homework for this week. We'll carry on next week then inshallah. After the Isha prayer, Allah 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 Allah